The following session of Radios and Tunnels contains a few choice expletives due to the passionate nature of the conversation. So if you're easily offended by the occasional or perhaps a then by all means, adjust your listening expectations and all-around reception strategy for this particular session accordingly. Radios and Tunnels. I've had the privilege of growing up in a tradition that didn't believe in the myths and the legends because we had to bear the brunt of them. That's a sound clip of Eddie Glaude Jr. He is the department chair of African-American studies at Princeton. And that's him talking on MSNBC in the wake of the El Paso shooting a few weeks back. That's a little portion of a larger clip that's amazing on a lot of different levels. But I was really drawn in to his use of the word privilege there. I had had several conversations with a lot of different people about that word, privilege, what it means, and how it impacts people when it's used in conversation. It's a word that's been weaponized in a lot of ways. But I was amazed at how he used it in that particular instance. In that same clip, he's talking about us, all people, all American citizens and their ownership in all of this. This, of course, being an incredibly divided country where people don't even know how to talk about their differences without it turning into a full-fledged war. I'm Jeff Skin Wade, and this is Radios and Tunnels. We talk about a lot of different things on this podcast. Sometimes it's music, film, sports, social issues, the way that all of these things combine. And today, I have the privilege to talk to a guy who is the all-time hit leader in the history of the Texas Rangers, the great Michael Young. Ben and I have had the privilege to become friends with Michael Young. More so than just talking about sports, one of the things that's happened over the last several years is I'm able to text him about social issues, about things that he's passionate about that have nothing to do with sports. Of course, we still text back and forth about the Lakers and the Rangers and things like that, but quite frankly, I've grown to be way more interested in his thoughts away from sports. Because that's where he impresses me the most. When I started this podcast, I reached out to him and said, Hey man, I eventually want to get you on and talk about some of these things that we're not allowed to talk about on the radio. Because people freak out over it. People get upset. And he was in. And when I sent him that clip of Eddie Glaude Jr. on MSNBC talking about white privilege, talking about racism, talking about moving forward together, I said, man, we've got to talk about this on my pod. And he was all about it. His schedule's crazy, but he squeezed me in a few weeks before having his number retired by the Texas Rangers, and we went deep with it. Michael, you and I have talked a lot about a lot of different kinds of things. We're big sports fans. In fact, I don't know if you remember this. uh, The first time you came on the Ben and Skin show and we really connected, you know, we did a whole movie bracket thing. Oh, perfect. No, I don't remember that, but I'm pretty sure that's that's how it went down. That's when it was like, okay, uh, Michael's more than just an awesome baseball player. He's got (laughs) uh, really fun opinions. But over the years, uh, we found that we have similar takes on social social issues, political things. But we kind of live in an environment where people are scared to openly talk about that stuff. Does that intimidate you? Well, I think it's tough because, you know, in my situation now, I'm very fortunate and blessed to have the people here who have accepted me as part of their community, mm-hmm. right? Um, came from California, played here in Texas, really never thought that I'd stay here. Um, but as, as time went on, I started to really love living here. So a lot of times when you discuss some sort of political issue, the, the shame of the whole thing is it's never a policy issue anymore. It's mm-hmm. never an issue of what... I think or you think or somebody else thinks on just the best way to run a country that we all are very proud to live in. It gets personal quick. And that's kind of the political environment that we're in now, which is unfortunate, right? So I think a lot of guys are um, in a very uncomfortable stage in terms of not wanting to alienate the people who like the way they play Mm -hmm. or support how they play or support the organization they represent. Uh, But at the same time, they also want to see if they can find a way to empower people who don't have a stronger voice who might share that opinion with them. So, no, I don't necessarily find it intimidating, but I do think it's important to make sure that I stay focused on policy stuff rather than, uh, you know, getting personal because no matter how you chop that up, that's never a win-win thing. It usually ends up being a back and forth on a Twitter feed or a social media thing, and no one ever wins from that. It's usually just garbage takes all around at that point. Have you, uh, and man, I've found myself going into the darkest of places in the social media sphere and then later regretting it, and then what you end up doing is you end up sort of discrediting things that are valid about yourself Sure, you know, when you get sucked into that. And so I, I guess one of the things I'm curious about is, how much time have you spent thinking about how you do that? 
have you talked to other people and that exist on the level you've existed on and from a sports realm or from a you know a, for lack of a better term fame or rec- recognition right. but do you talk to other people about these things or do you just kind of go yeah. with your instincts on I kind of go with my instincts I've never really talked to anybody about it um uh, I try and navigate a lot of different scenarios. One, I don't want to ever embarrass the Rangers, a team that I work for. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ever put them in an awkward spot where the last thing I want is for someone at the team have to pull me into the office and say, okay, this is what we want to talk about. I don't want to do that. At the same time, I'm never going to sell short my ideals or things that I believe in. Um, so a lot of times the, the things that I tend to say publicly or uh, through social media, it would be if I feel like there's a group of people that need to be represented, mm-hmm. right? Not saying that, uh, you know, I have like a, a Twitter following, like say, uh, you know, some high level politician, but I do feel like there are certain ways that I can probably connect with a, a certain, a certain set of people that maybe feel underrepresented or maybe feel like their voice, I can share their voice and maybe make it slightly louder. Um, I feel, I do feel a responsibility to do that. Um, if anything, and I would welcome feedback on a policy issue from somebody who had a different point of view. Right. Those are conversations I actually enjoy. Um, it's one that's, you know, it, if it starts with a, a shared respect, um, uh, you know, and, and a common goal, which is to see this country just be better, whether it's locally um, or on a state level or on a federal level, they want the country to be better. I am all with that. I would love to have that conversation with anybody. But when it comes to, you know, a Twitter tough guy and this, I have zero interest in that. Uh, not, not one of those people is ever going to knock on my door. So I have no interest in ever having that kind of a conversation. Wait, have you, uh, I'm sure you've put some things out there, uh, whether it's on Twitter or whatever. And then, you know, you always go into the mentions, right? And see what those responses are. Are you ever surprised at what's in there at some of your, uh, when you're expressing ideals? Sure, I am. I am. I, I think it's... Um, there are times when I feel like I've said some things that are not controversial at all. They're literally like, I think like a hundred percent truth. If I try and shoot down something that is just a load of crap and it has no base or no fact or no relevance, and it's simply meant to demean a group of people, mm-hmm. I find it hard to believe how anyone can contradict that or oppose that, that, uh, you know, my take on that. Right. Um, so yeah, those things can, can definitely be surprising, but you know, again, that's, that's kind of the nature of the beast. I think, I think that's one of the real interesting things about the time that we live in is because I remember growing up, the idea of debate was that debate was healthy. Yeah. Like that was where we sort of get to these areas of growth as, you know, uh, as people or as a country or these kinds of things is, all right, you figure out ways to hash out differences and then move forward in a positive direction. It's almost like, I don't even know where that space exists anymore. It, it doesn't. And even it, whether it's uh, on a social media platform or even you look now, one, whether you voted for him or didn't vote for him, you know, the last uh, Senate race when Beto O'Rourke went literally from city to city mm-hmm. having town halls with Republican districts and with Democrat districts. I appreciated that. That is healthy debate. That's someone maybe saying, listen, I really oppose what this guy says and I'm going to tell him in a healthy way. That's why you run for office, mm-hmm. right? Nowadays, it's just, you know, they rally at places where they have nothing but 100% support. What does that do? That does nothing. Right. Um, you know, you're going to get some, some cheers. You're going to get on TV. You're going to get clicks. Fine. Congratulations. At the end of the day, you haven't really accomplished much. Do you, um, the clubhouse or the locker room, those are such sacred places. During your playing days, when a big issue broke out, did it ever find its way into the locker room or clubhouse? Rarely, rarely. Um, I don't know about nowadays, uh, but really never for me. I can't remember one time where I discussed any any sort of political issue, whether it came from a, a reporter, maybe like one time from a reporter, uh, but never with a group of guys, mm-hmm. ever. Um, it just really wasn't, um, I don't think the collective found it to be that important. You know, there are some guys who are maybe like very invested in the way this country was headed. Other guys who maybe are still trying to maybe get citizenship in this country. Right. Other guys who are just like, listen, I'm young. I'm 22 years old. I'm just trying to scratch and claw and find my way. Right. So all those reasons, you know, you can say are certainly legitimate from their, from their, from their own standpoints. But no, nah, it never really became a, a big issue. I would have loved to have had that conversation on multiple, multiple, you know, fronts with a group of my teammates if, if it came up. But Again, never really did. So I think another issue in uh, a couple weeks ago, I was out there covering Cowboys camp in Oxnard. And my out there, my sister just happened to be out there with her husband. And uh, he's a lawyer. They're, they're very interesting people. They're fun to talk to. I can talk issues with them. And we kind of got off into this whole use of language. And I think that's one of the biggest issues right now 
is certain words have certain meanings and people are immediately putting up walls to where you can't talk about issues. And one of the things that has been a huge hot button is this concept of white privilege. And the biggest issue with it, I think, is that the word privilege, people's understanding of what that word is versus what that concept might actually mean. And so I'm talking with a lawyer who's a litigator, and we're talking about the power of that word, what it actually means, how people perceive it. And I feel like one of our biggest impasses right now, besides how we're being divided by news sources, which is a completely different conversation, but how do we find these words that don't make people automatically defensive? Sure. Um, there's and and obviously racism. Yeah, yeah. There are there are people that are overtly racist. Right. They'll walk into the room. They'll drop an n bomb or whatever. You know what that is. Sure. But the other issue that that goes right along this that people are scared to engage with is their passive racism or their naive racism. Yep. And that's what the core of when people talk about white privilege. But so many people in this country are not living the way that they want to live. Absolutely. And so when you're like, I'm not privileged. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I work. 50 hours a week and we can barely make our mortgage. How am I privileged? And so just the power of that word, people are taking it the wrong way and, and we're not even actually talking about an issue. Mm -hmm. And I think that the powers that be know this and this is what they're using to divide us. How, how can, how can you move collectively? Mm -hmm. How can the country move to a place where we can get back to talking about issues without using coded words Mm -hmm. so that people aren't defensive and immediately want to go to battle. Well, again, I think um, excellent points. Uh, when it comes to privilege, you nailed it. It's a hot button word, right? Immediate wall up. So I think one reason is, like you said, and lot, there's a lot of folks in my family who feel the same way. Listen, I have zero privilege. I didn't come from much. I work incredibly hard. I raise the family. I pay my taxes. I work hard. I provide a positive influence both for my family and for my neighborhood and my mm-hmm. community. Don't tell me for one one second, because privilege comes with say that you've gotten uh, you've gotten things necessarily you don't deserve, right. or you haven't earned, or you right. haven't worked hard for. Right. I don't think anyone's trying to say that. I think what most folks in this country who say that they they simply are trying to say, we want everyone in this country to have the same starting point, mm-hmm. and anyone willing to engage in this conversation, whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're Latino, doesn't matter where you are, who you're from. You have to at least acknowledge that that doesn't exist in this country. doesn't make anybody, that's the first step. And by not accepting the fact that there is certain levels of privilege on that front, you can't really have that next step. For example, here locally, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but if you can walk right over there at the Park Cities, mm-hmm. right down the street, you go down here, within a five-minute drive, the community is vastly different. Yep. And the color of those people are vastly different. hmm and I would venture to say most folks get on their car and they have somewhere to go, whether it's pick up a kid at school, drive them to practice, go to work, whatever, all very, very admirable and noble things to be doing. They don't give it a second thought. They just go on their day. They say, yep, they go there and they go there. No big deal. That's just the way it goes. I think most folks are saying, why are we not having that conversation? Right. Again, it goes back to your point about no one willing to have that, that kind of a chat. Um, when it comes to racism, it's very similar. Um, I'm not racist. I do this. I think there's, I saw an article the other day. There's a massive difference though, between saying that I'm not racist versus being anti-racism. Right. 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 I am completely anti-racism. Not just saying, I I just throw this out there or suggesting that people throw this word out there for whenever they get in the, you know, a hot spot, they throw the race card. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily buy that theory at all. Um, I think a lot of folks out there demand and want it to be a part of our society where people are anti-racism. Um, that would help accomplish the things that we were talking about earlier. People starting from the same starting point. Right. The second that it goes off, the second the starting gun goes off, everyone is at the same point. And that's, that's not the case. And that's the conversation a lot of folks want to have. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, that makes me think of a lot of different things, but at the, the very core of that is people have to be willing to engage in something that doesn't directly affect them on a daily basis. That is really more than anything the quote-unquote white privilege discussion is I, I, uh, I'm white, middle class, grew up white, middle class. I can wake up every day and live my life, if I choose to, 
without engaging with racism because it doesn't impact me. It doesn't impact that me. is a privilege. It's a privilege. That's the whole point of all of this. Right. If you are a person of color, you don't have that privilege because it right. affects your life every single day. And so people that are privileged have to be willing to try to make it better for everybody. Right. Because if you live your life in your lane, I can't worry about this poor person. I can't worry about that brown person. I can't worry about that immigrant. I have got to make sure that this car payment is getting made yeah. and my kids got their college fund. Sure. Then we're not we're not going to get to whatever the ideals right. of what this country is supposed to be is supposed to be. Right. And that's and that's kind of what uh, the point was. Uh, all admirable things. Right. Wanting the best for my kids, wanting to make sure that, um, you know, I'm. I'm doing whatever I can to help my family, prioritizing my family's health and their happiness and their success. Those are all very, very important things. Um, but when it comes to. Again, to privilege, I had a point here. I was just going to say right now, I kind of like dropped it. I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to I remember. think the best thing that happened is you talked about your family's health, and in the background, I heard your son cough. And it was just amazing irony. <laughs> it was like it just happened all at the same time. It was the magic of the moment. I took him, I took him to urgent care yesterday, and they prescribed him like 15 antibiotics because that's what they do. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's doing fine. But I, I just think that I ha I'm going to get back to this point. I definitely forgot it and kicked it, but I'm going to remember it in five seconds. And when there. I do, I'm, I'm going to cut you off and I'm going to jump right back in. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, okay. So where I want to move to now is I want to move to uh, post-playing career activism. Okay. Because you have engaged in that. You have found mm -hmm. politicians that you identify with, that you believe they want to do the right things. And you are in a position where you can do those sorts of things. So what was your entree into that world? And, uh, and, and how is it, I don't know, I want to say changed you, but how has it yeah. impacted your life? Well, I think the, the, the first step was I had a lot of friends, uh, a lot of my friends that I've met here because again, I'm not from Dallas. Right. Um, so a lot of the people I've met have been very, I didn't grow up with them. All my friends who I grew up with are still in California. Um, it's been, has been very, you know, organically. Uh, most of the time it's like just you know, parents at my kids' school, parents mm -hmm. on my kids' teams, um, people obviously who I've met from being affiliated with the Rangers. Um, and I met some folks who were donating and asked me to, you know, and I started kind of like, as I got older, I think it's very natural. You kind of like just become more involved in the things that you want to see happen to the country whether, or even to your city. Right. You know? And I started seeing kind of like, you know, signs in the front yard and asking some questions about what they thought and why they thought it. Um, and then all of a sudden it was, you know, it came to, hey, I'm hosting an event with this candidate. You want to come? I'm like, yeah, I'd like to ask some questions about this is what I what I value. Does that person value? And do those things link up? And it kind of started like that again, like very, very organically. Um, but one of the representatives I've chosen to really back is Colin Allred. Mm -hmm. um, one reason is he's a massive champion for public education, which I think is one strong step to making sure people do start on an even playing field. Right. Everyone should have the opportunity to, no matter where they're born, uh, what zip code they're born into, which by the way, we all completely luck into. Yeah. Um, nothing is earned on that front. You happen to you know, be born to a certain family in a certain zip code. You didn't earn shit. <laughs> no, you're right. You just lucked into that. Yes. So, um, I would like to, one of my priorities is to make sure that people have the opportunity to have a good public education, no matter where they're born. And Colin is a massive champion for that. So that was my very first reason to, to like Colin local guy, went to Hillcrest high, um, you know, played in the NFL, you know, mm -hmm. uh, went to Baylor, then went to Berkeley and got, you know, went to grad school at Berkeley. I mean, just a, a local guy made good who wants to come back into his community and help people out. That's something that I found to be very inspiring and uh, very happy to, to support Colin. Yeah. So as you uh, kind of get into that, you know, that world, um, does it make you do you ever feel like you would want to be the face of something? I don't you, know. By I, the way, you used to be called the face of the Rangers. Yeah, I hated that. <laughs> that was terrible. Sorry. You got to yeah, wear that. Man. That is awful. Um, I tried like the next day. I'm like, you guys realize what this is going to come to now. Right. And. I still can't stand that damn name, but and sure enough, whenever something had to be said, everyone went to Michael. Yeah, Walker. I know. Um, which was okay. And if it took heat off a couple guys who didn't feel like asking questions, I'd gladly do it. Um, what were we saying? I was asking you if you're. Would you be interested in being the face of something? Um, I don't know. Uh, I probably not. Mm -hmm. um, for one reason, I, I love my time. Right. You know, um, one, I'm very, very, very lucky that I got a chance to play professional baseball. Um, and like me, it's a, it was a full-time job. And like everyone else, a full-time job usually has a boss and they tell you where to go and 
to go here, to go there. And this is what we have to do. Rightfully so. Right. This is what we all do to kind of like do our job. Well, um, but once I stopped playing, you know, that was my first crack at saying, wow, this is this whole, I get to do what I want, when I want, how I want to do it. The thing is kind of nice, man. So I have my job at the Rangers now, which I love. Yeah. Um, but it would take a hell of a lot right now to have me sacrifice my time that I get to choose when to do it, whether it's go on a golfing trip over a weekend mm-hmm. or I want to stay here weekend because my boy's got a baseball tournament and I want to watch every last pitch mm-hmm. um, or I want to go and have a glass of wine that night. I don't care what it is. I, I like the idea of doing what I want when I want right now. That may change, but here sitting here on, on this day, I'm 42 years old. That That's what I want right about now. God, I bet your wife loves that. Actually, she'd probably love to have me the hell out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> do you go? Do you guys go back to high school? We do. Yeah, we do. So, we, I mean. We met when we were 15. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's knowing something incredibly, knowing somebody incredibly intimately well. Right. I mean, you, you know, know the, you've seen all the mistakes and all the growth. So, uh, how does she influence you in regards to yeah. issues and things like we're that? We're very like-minded. Um, very, very like-minded in a lot of things. And that makes it really easy. Those are things that we're, we talk very openly with our, with our sons about. Um, just trying to make sure that they are, are understand very basic fundamental things that happen uh, every morning at seven o'clock. We have the news on and there's usually, you know, things that happen in these days. There's things that happen like that are pretty inflammatory. Yeah. Uh, and my sons have questions about it and we try and answer them as honestly as we can. Um, I think it's important that they have. We never we always tell them exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. We give them the truth. Now, if my six-year-old asks a question that we don't think he can necessarily handle or he can't process, we're going to use our, our best parental judgment there. But if my nine-year-old says, hey, uh, there's something here about you know, rape, one of my words I cringe when I hear, yeah. I'm going to tell him what it means. And, and that's been him. in the news a lot lately. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's been in the news a lot. And that's, it's, it's been, that's why it's on top of my head. Right. You know, and um, that's something that we, he has to hear. He has to know 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 what that means and know the extent of that kind of, you know, human violation. How, how uh, old is your oldest? Fourteen. Okay, so he's you know, yeah, very engaged. I would think at this point, or at least sees so much of it. Sure, sure. And it's it's interesting when he comes back and all my son when they come back and say things that, uh, well, you know, so and so said this. Where you know, obviously it's a reflection of the stuff they talk about in their house, right? Um, which everyone has the right to do in in their home. Um, but in our house, we try to make sure that uh, our, our we place a very high premium on uh, being humble, treating people respectfully, um, you know, deflecting credit, giving it to other people, um, owning it when you feel like you've made a mistake and you have to make an adjustment with something. That's, uh, that's the opposite of what a lot of leadership is happening right now. I mean, I think uh, anybody I, I've had to pull way back on expressing myself on Twitter just because of how it affects the people around me. Sure. You know, um, and so I think, you know, most people that at least would listen to a podcast that I'm hosting probably know which way I lean on things, but, uh, I've pulled way back in that regard, but we did have one moment about a year ago where it was a Sunday morning and my wife made breakfast and we're all eating breakfast and the news is on. And my son said something, uh, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he said something very aggressive and negative about the president. Mm Mm-hmm. And even though the thing he said I probably agreed with, I doubted that he put in the time from a critical analysis standpoint to figure out why he thought that. <laughs> so I felt like he was he was mimicking his parents or echoing his parents. And I stopped him and I said, I don't want you to say that unless you truly have spent time thinking about that and believing that. Right. You know, me and his mother are going to give him as much information as we can, but I I, I don't... I don't want my kids going out in the world just saying what I say. Sure. I want them to say what they actually believe. And I think that that's the most difficult thing for most people. There's a cycle for a lot of people to mimic their or to uh, parrot their parents and then go off to college and change and then kind of circle back to some of their original ideals. But if you can hammer home early on the idea of critical analysis, thinking about things deeply, looking at it from an angle you don't agree with. And I think it's easier for people to arrive at some truth, but that's a hard thing to get teenagers to really engage with. Super difficult. Yeah. We, we found, we found similar challenges um, because a lot of their friends say that they are really tight with think a certain way or think they think a certain way. Um, I have to convince him to kind of think, think for himself. Uh, And the biggest thing too, I think one, one, one thing that becomes very difficult with, with the current political landscape is that um, how do you balance 
what's good for me versus what's good for the collective, right? Mm -hmm. That's very difficult to do. You know, if you have someone who's saying, you know, I want limited government because I've worked really hard for my money. I don't want them in my back pocket. Okay, fine. I I get it. Right. Um, If someone says, you know, listen, if they say we're going to back home, you know, uh, we're going to add an extra tax for this because it's going to benefit this later. I'm like, I will will gladly pay that tax if I have confidence that level of government's going to put the money where they say they're going to put it. I'm happy to pay for that tax. Those are things that I think that are really difficult to toe the line with. And I think my 14-year-old might be getting to a point where he can understand those things. Um, but again, my one of my biggest priorities is to make sure that when it comes to whether it's a policy issue or just a human decency issue, he's got to understand how this affects everyone, not just him. Yeah. That's really difficult to do. We got to – the other thing too is, I mean, it's easy to say, uh, uh, you know, uh, election reform and all. It's easy to just say these things, but, you know, the – the brightest minds there are a lot of people are going to be money driven in general, but I'm always wary of someone that is like, wait, you've been alive for 60 years and you've never been involved in public service. And now you're running for an office. Mm-hmm. What, what is this about? Or is this really your calling? Uh, if we could figure out ways for public service to be not immediately uh, compensatory, but maybe later compensatory, sure. I don't know something to where the people that are involved in public service are doing it for all of people as opposed to, man, if I can get these things in play, boy, me and my people can make a lot of money. Yeah, that's going to be really difficult to accomplish too, especially nowadays when if you are coming out of you know undergrad and you go to a, you know even if you go to a startup tech place, um, there are some, some instances where people are making a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully that doesn't get to a point where the gap gets consistently widened between the haves and the have-nots, uh, which is always going to be a, a big concern. Um, but I think the one thing to, it's almost like a very similar issue with teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that I've, I've kind of had close to my heart. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do get, and I think one reason why I get, I have to check myself a little bit. I'm kind of very similar to you. I get immediately, um, I have one eyebrow raised when I see someone coming up and what their motive is and what are they trying to accomplish by jumping in right now. Right. Um, is it completely self-serving? Are you actually looking for looking to help some other people? Are you trying to widen gaps? Are you trying to bring people together? Those are things that I, that I'm going to be looking for when I cast my vote. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, I, I don't want to discredit. That's the other thing too, that I worry about myself is like, all right. Cause I think a lot of people do this. I can't just immediately discredit someone that's saying something that I don't agree with. I mean, that's, that's the biggest problem that I have. And that, that was the biggest problem I had on Twitter. You know, to where I was like, you know what? I just can't, I can't do this. I can't, because I'm not going to get decent interaction in 250 characters or whatever that is. Um, But I do crave those engagements. I do crave those exchanges because I feel like I grow from it. Even if the first hour my wall is up, when I go back and think about it, I'm going to think about those points that aren't my points. Uh, But there's it's just also loaded now and it's also agenda driven. Like that's, that's a, that's the other thing. That is the most shocking thing to me. It, and it's real basic, but when I was growing up and when you were growing up, I'm older than you, but there was uh, ABC news, NBC news and CBS news. And we had this idea that there was journalistic integrity and uh, the, you know, that's where you got the news and this is what the world thinks. And if you flipped around during the national news, the commercials were all the same advertisers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Pack Life and this, that, and the other. It's all the same advertisers. And then cable news happened. Right. And I was like, do you realize how insane it is that you can flip back and forth between two news channels and they don't share one single advertiser? Right. That is effed up. Oh, yeah. That is agenda. And on both sides, I'm not saying, hey, this side's right and this side's wrong. It's both sides. Mm -hmm. If you are wanting to reach a certain demographic that wants news, it shouldn't be completely different. It should be the same. People want news. And now we don't even we don't even trust where we're getting our information from. Right. Uh, I don't think to your point, you can watch Fox News and see as you hear you watch MSNBC and it's going to be completely opposite. Uh, And all the while in between while the show is actually running those shows can get fact-checked and a, a bunch of things are going to end up being incorrect. Right. And there's no recourse for there's it. No recourse. Um, and that's and that's where I get really, really frustrated. And that's where I think a lot of people, it doesn't matter what side you're on, get very frustrated with our political landscape in general. It's like, we elected you, you folks, to go in there and to make lives better. That's mm-hmm. why we think you ran. 
lock yourselves in a room and let's get some stuff done. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like, you know, no one wants to throw, you know, no one wants to stick their jab hand out there for fear of it getting parried and overhand rights coming right behind it. You know, they don't want to do that. And that's frustrating to watch. Um, I don't care. There's a, there are tons and tons of bipartisan solutions out there. Yes. Tons. And the fact that it takes, it's like pulling teeth to get them is incredibly frustrating. Yeah. I, I kind of start looking for, or start talking myself into candidates or whatever. That's like, okay, he served in the military, which generally appeals to conservative people, but he's, uh, maybe he's homosexual and I'm sorry. Okay. Is there a way to bring people together that can find some commonalities here? I start looking at candidates like that going, man, it's, is it, it needs to be somebody from, left field and right field at the same time. And, right. and, and, but I just don't know. I don't know that the general populace is ready to identify with someone that's not exactly like them in every right. way. And I hope that, I hope that changes. And again, that the problem is, is that, you know, you just made one specific example. He served in the military. He's homosexual. And then the you know top dog in the land is calling him Alfred E. Newman. Yeah. That doesn't play for me. No. Doesn't play for me. Stick to policy. Yes. You know, there's something you disagree. By all means, say it. You know, that's what, that's what we do here. By all means, say it respectfully disagree. I want to see you disagree. I want to see how this person handles himself when they get pushed against the wall. Cause if, if you can't do it with one of your fellow citizens in a large national debate stage, how are you going to do it on an international stage when that's inevitably going to happen to a world leader? Um, those are things that I want to see. Um, getting personal, having these stupid personal attacks. I have zero interest in that. I find it to be just incredibly disappointing. Do you, I don't, how, uh, I don't know how into it you were, but one of the things I think about is I think about in the late eighties and early nineties, you would have, you know, the two sides going against each other, but when it was over, it was over. Uh, and then somewhere along the line and in my mind, you know, I don't know if I was engaged enough, but it was like, uh, when president Obama was elected was when, and I actually, I take that back. I think it was when president Bush, which you know him very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, he owned the team and, Um, and lives here in the Metroplex. And sure. if anybody's ever had a chance to engage with him, he's a very charming, likable guy. And boy, Absolutely. he was vilified when he was in office, right. including by me. Like right. I had ideas of him that I don't think were actually accurate. Right. I think I bought into things. Right. Um, but somewhere along the line, and I think it's around that time, it was split and divide. And if you're, if you're on the opposite side, you can never reasonably try to find good in that other person. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it was because, I mean, I, I think about the, the way all the Clinton stuff happened, the Bill Clinton stuff. And, uh, that was obviously on the news a lot and he went through impeachment and all those kinds of things, but I don't remember it being to the degree of what it was with president Obama. Right. And maybe there's a race component there. I think that's a, an obvious place to go to. Maybe not. Um, but I feel like the sort of just vitriol towards that person from the opposite side mm-hmm. was more than policy. Oh my God. It, it, I, I tend to agree. And it kind of brings me back to that point I was kind of forgetting about earlier. Oh, I like this. Yeah. Um, you know, I am very proud of my dad is white. My mother is Mexican American. Um, you know, I'm very, very close with both sides of my family. But one thing that I've had a tendency to do is when you talk about privilege and people who it has an impact, it doesn't imp- when that privilege comes back to them and they don't get impacted by race on a daily basis, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I wonder how people would feel if their father or their mother who grew up in the 60s and 70s, right? The things that they had to go to through, mm-hmm. that absolutely gets passed on to their kids. And when you think about the amount of crap that your parent had to think go through in this country and you walk around and that's only one generation removed, right? Now think about two generations removed. Think about your, what your grandparents had to go through and they can even, if they could even cast a vote. Right. These things are recent history. Yes. And to suggest that those things are over now, uh, no, no, Neil, because I work hard, and it absolutely might be over for you. Congratulations. It's not over for somebody else. And they go through it on a daily basis. Yeah. Those are things that I hope all Americans have to go through because in order for that to get fixed, that doesn't get fixed by the minority. It gets fixed by the majority. They have to have a realization about that. They have to care about that. They have to invest in those important conversations. Um, And I think the same can be said going back to your point about President Bush and President Obama. Um, I I am looking forward to a time when our political landscape at the top can be one of, you know, of mutual respect and policy. Mm -hmm. I've played golf with President Bush. Everything you said about him is spot on. He is a beauty yeah um you know the first i remember one time we were playing golf and 
And uh, first time I saw him, he comes over and goes, hey, Michael, how you doing? Gives me his classic handshake and a hug. And the very first thing was, I think I said, it was like, about time you got a, about time you got an effing haircut or something like that. <laughs> and he loved it. And the Secret <laughs> Service are laughing. That, that is him. Mm-hmm. He is just a down-to-earth guy who wants to have classic conversations with people. And that's what I hope for. I'm sure that deep down, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have disagreements with people who maybe I tend to vote for on their certain side, Right. That's okay. Th- those are healthy things. I can't stand it if it starts in crap, if it starts in the mud, yeah. if it starts with a birther controversy. Right. That should never, ever happen in this country. It should not happen. It should never take place. There's way more important things that are affecting people on a daily basis than trying to steal a couple votes by you know throwing bullshit out there like that. Oh, and it's so frustrating. And it, it's so maddening. Uh, it, it's interesting... Um, the what the announcement this week that the NFL is going to partner with Jay Z and Rock Nation on the halftime show, and that's bringing up a lot of a lot of old wounds. And actually, the first uh, session I did of this podcast, I talked to Justin Durant, Cowboys linebacker, who he was devastated by the kneeling situation because his dad, who was in the military, wanted him to kneel, and then the team collectively decided not to kneel. And it ate him up, and it was actually – it ruined his season, and he left the league. Now, he was at a point in his career where he may be leaving anyways, but it, it ate him alive. And uh, and he was open and talking about that, and it devastated him. And it devastated uh, a lot of those players in that league. But the thing about that is that kneeling had gone away. Mm-hmm. There was like two or three guys doing it. Right. And – you know, I don't think it's any uh, coincidence that when that became a focal point, it was in Alabama, which does not have an NFL team. Right. Right. All of this was very strategic. Sure. And then all these grown men that are alphas felt challenged. Mm-hmm. You've challenged you challenged their manhood. Right. All right. And so all this is, is playing out in a very big way. And, and now we've kind of come, you know, full circle and. And Jay-Z made this really interesting comment uh, yesterday or the day before when he was like, well, the original point of kneeling was to try to impact change. Sure. And so now we're moving towards this because there's a social justice component to right. to all of that. And so it's almost like we had to go into the pits of hell and and just disrespect, just flat out disrespect people mm-hmm. uh, to get back to, okay, now we're back. Hey, that guy still doesn't have a job three years later, but we're kind of moving towards social justice. Right. And, and that's that. That that's kind of like where I think a lot about you know someone like you that cares, but you are on this stage and people are looking at you and you are thinking about how do I represent the team. That's those are pressures. I know people go, oh yeah, well you got a million dollars or whatever, but sure. those are immediate pressures. Like you've got to come home to your family every day and mm-hmm. your wife has her beliefs, and you have to go out into the world and represent things for your family and things for your team. Right. That's a that's such a combustible impossible deal oh my god i don't even know how that's a really really difficult thing right tough to navigate for a lot for a lot to unpack in in, in this in this particular issue um the durant story i hadn't heard before that's a there's a really i'll, one, I'll give it to you there's a really great two or three minute clip of jason garrett speaking at a princeton symposium telling the story of that cardinals game and seeing justin walk off the field after a play with a blank look on his face. he knew mm-hmm. like dude he knew and that guy's got to finish out the season. Right. And his dad is in the back of his head. Right. What do I tell my dad that served this country that wants me to do this? Right. It's, oh, by the way, there's a 230-pound guy running a 4-4. Sure. Go get him. Yeah. That, I would love to see that. I'd love to hear it. love to see that. Um, th- this, this is an incredibly difficult thing because people, there's obviously strong feelings on, on both sides. Again, this is one of those classic things I think that a lot of folks right now don't see any wiggle room for conversation this way. Right. Um, I think you'll find a lot of folks who think, um, kneeling is disrespectful to the flag, to the, uh, to the military and the people who were kneeling were making their point as loud as they possibly could. That had nothing to do with either. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was social change on, on different fronts and nothing to do with the military or disrespecting the flag at all. I think for me, um, and I've seen only kind of brief parts of the, of the Jay-Z, mm-hmm. Jay-Z stuff. Um, I would like to have some level of consistency in terms of criticism, right? It's like, you know, disrespects the flag, but, you know, they, they clumped people who were kneeling into one specific category without having to hear the reasons that they're trying to do it. And right. a, a lot of folks are saying, listen, I'm a consumer. I bought a ticket. I don't want to see you kneeling. You can, you can do it on another level or on a different place. Mm-hmm. Well, the very fact that you're talking about it means that uh, the, the place is appropriate. Yeah. Uh, so 
I if to be clear, if I was still playing, I would not kneel. I would be standing. I'd have my hat over my heart, and I would do the same thing I did when I played, which was I would say a quick prayer of thanks to for my family's health, and I hope to stay healthy in that game. And then I would say amen, and then I would think about how to kick the other team's ass. <laughs> uh, that was like my routine right. during the national anthem. Um, yeah, at no point, honestly, did I ever. And I'm not. I'm very, very blessed to be a part of this country, to be um, a United States citizen. Both sides of my family would say the same thing, even though you know my grandparents' roots are in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Um, but at no point during the national anthem would I ever think actually about the country. That doesn't mean that I'm any less of a citizen than anybody else, or proud to be a citizen. I was thinking about the next three hours of my life, and right. that was my time to really get focused. I would give thanks for things through prayer, but never through uh, you know talking about thinking about the country on my end. Um, but that's my right to do whatever I want when the national anthem hits. Right. Yeah. And, um, that's why there's a, there's a ton to unpack in that situation. And I hope the people are reasonable enough to listen to the other side. That's all. Yeah. And and I think the other thing too, is like, you got to figure out a way to care more about the people that the flag represents than the actual cloth. Sure. It's that it's not the cloth that's sacred. It's yeah. the ideals that it represents. And those ideals are, you should be able to be pulled over in a traffic stop without fear for your life. Yes. That's, that's, a, that's a real basic right we want all Americans to right. have. And it's not worth arguing. They're, like this, like just basic reason tells you this isn't a, a thing to argue. Right. You know? And, and, and one, one argument saying, well, it doesn't happen all that often. It doesn't happen to everybody. That is just a garbage argument. The argument has to be heard. Yeah. Um, I started listening very, very specifically about things that Malcolm Jenkins was talking about up in Philly and Chris Long was talking about up in Philly. And they took that low, that those, um, very, very important issues and they stopped making them talking points and they started making them real life things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins would literally go and visit precincts and speak about how, uh, the community get pulled together with guys who are trying to do their job through law enforcement. Uh, and that is how you get things done. Yeah. And I'm sure through those conversations, he found people on both sides who were trying to express important opinions about things that were important to them. That's how things happen. Um, understanding and appreciating, you know, people in this country who are care about at the end of the day, the common denominator is we care about this country. We want it to be better. That alone should be, uh, an open door for productive conversation. I, uh, one of the things I found interesting, so I always tell this to people, which probably isn't true, but it's my perception of you is like, man, if you had met Michael Young and you didn't know anything about him, you might talk to him for 30 minutes and might not even know that he played professional baseball. (laughs) He's just not going to tell you about, Hey, I did this, this, and this, and, uh, have always felt the same way about Dirk. Uh, Jason Terry's like that. Michael Finley's like that. There's a lot of different people that, that are like that, but in your post-playing days, you've kind of gotten to know Dirk a little bit better, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, uh, we got to know each other well when we were playing. We were playing ball, or when I was playing ball. He's a he's a recent uh, retiree. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, but it was it was more on the surface. You know, we'd see each other. He'd come to our ball games. We catch up real quick. Um, but since I stopped playing, uh, you know, Jessica and Christina have gotten close, and uh, you know, we've kind of hung out for dinner and grabbed a drink and. Um, He's just a fun guy to be around, man. You know, uh, we'll, we'll talk. I think we can relate on certain levels on what it's like to play sports at a high level, different sports at a high level. Um, you know, I always tell him he's a lucky cat, man, because he can come to this place and his favorite teams can be the Rangers and the Stars and the Cowboys. And <laughs> I, throw my, I, I have my Laker fandom and get booed everywhere I go. <laughs> Pretty easy for him, man. Right, right. Um, but he's just a very, just a down to earth dude, man. We went to, Christine and I went to a couple of his, you know, retirement parties at the end of the year and people were toasting him and it was all this, all the same stuff, how he treats people respectfully and, um, great teammate. Um, you know, it's one of those cool things where great basketball player never came up. Yeah. You know, and that's when, you know, you got a, a pretty special dude. Yeah. That is, that is, uh, that's just awesome. And it's, it's, uh, you're the all time Ranger hit leader. That's yeah. it's got to feel pretty awesome. It does, man. I mean, I I think I'm I'm very very lucky. Again, when I came from California, coming through the minor leagues, and then getting here for my first couple of years in the big leagues, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter where I'd have played, unless it was L.A. There wasn't one place where I would have considered living in the off season. Mm-hmm. I always thought that I'm going to come, I'm going to play here, and I'm going to go back home. I'm going to play here, I'm going to go back home. My family's there. Um, my family is big and it's close, and my my, I still have a house in California and our Christmases and our Thanksgivings and our Easter's are like a hundred strong. We have a, I have a wow. lot of folks, man. That's awesome. Yeah. 
And it's important to me. Um, and all of a sudden, right around, I don't know, year four, year five, we start kicking around the idea of, you know, maybe staying here. Um, I'd still spend my, Calif- my, my off season in California, but that was primarily because my oldest son wasn't old enough to start school. So we could afford to just tote him around wherever mm-hmm. we went. But right when he got to around five years old, you know, we had to make that call. And, you know, I just love living here. The community accepted me. Um, I liked the people who I'd met. Um, I found a lot of gratitude in the fact that, like I said, I, I had made a lot of friends and people who I admired here and liked hanging out with. And even though I never grew up with them, you know, I didn't have any like, you know, bonds, which are very, I'm sure if you have childhood friends or friends you have since high school, the bonds you have with them are incredibly strong. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have anyone like that here. Uh, but I started to get those, those, those bonds as time went on. And I, that, that was very important to me. I valued that a lot. And, you know, I started taking more pride in becoming, you know, a good neighbor and, you know, uh, a part of the community. Christina, I started making big efforts to kind of give back and um, show our gratitude in, in that way. Um, so, yeah, I it means lots to be an all time hit leader. Yeah, it means a lot from a professional standpoint. But when I see it, I, I think about the the idea that I the commitment that we made and they made to me to play here for so long. Right. Um, in baseball, you just don't see, you know, 12 year stretch, 13 year stretches with one team. It's just. It just doesn't happen. Um, and I was very, very lucky and um, that that happened to me. I just um, – I, I can't imagine playing another place. I played in Philly and I played in L.A. and I loved it. I mean, it was for a small amount of time. I loved it. But, I mean, this place is just at – at that point, this place was home. How yeah. much have you thought about August 31st? That's the date, right? Yeah, August 31st, uh, number of retirement yeah. night. Yeah, it's going to be hot as shit. <laughs> 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 but uh are you gonna wear a vest uh, no i do i'm not trying i don't know i'm i got a game plan smart for this one man <laughs> um you know you know when the team first told me i was obviously very taken aback and and appreciative and um you know uh i was like we sure we don't want to do this next year where there's a roof on and, <laughs> and, um, but let's uh, break in the new stadium yeah exactly exactly but they made some really cool points like now we want to make sure we close this thing out with a bang and mm-hmm. make sure we do some really cool stuff over the last couple of months and then you know, Josh is going into the Team Hall of Fame this weekend, and then my thing will come up in a couple of weeks. And um, again, um, I'm looking forward to it. a lot of my family's going to come out, and um, it's going to be really kind of like the, the cherry on top of, a, of my playing career. Um, fortunately for me, I, I still work in the organization, so I'm never completely disconnected from my playing career. But um, over time, I think that's really natural. You know, yeah. like I, I go to spring training every year, and I see I see you boys out there a lot. And I remember my first couple of years. Um, because I retired relatively early and I still had, you know, my offer from Dodgers was still on the table. Mm-hmm. I knew I could keep playing. My first couple of years, I'm like, oh, I can I can still do this. Da, da, da. You know, I remember last year I went to spring training. I'm like, this seems like a different sport to me now. There's no way I can get out there right now and do this. It just seems it's my playing career seems so long ago. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just a very natural course of events that most retired players go through. Um, but uh, again, um, I really have trouble putting into words how much this place means to me right now. Uh, how uh, good are the Lakers going to be this year? And then I'll get out of your very short hair. You've given us a lot of time, and I appreciate it. But Dude, you're good. You're I want to know how good the Lakers are going to be. Oh, uh, man. I'm looking forward to the NBA season a lot. I, I, this is the first time. You know, in a weird way, being a Laker fan, growing up a Laker fan, and I'm sure I take a lot of crap from Mavs fans about being a Laker fan. but There's a lot of them here, man. Yeah, I get it. I, and, and I understand where Mavs fans are coming from, you know, like especially ones who are my age, right? And they say an age contemporary. Um, but I, all I ever tell them was, listen, if you grew up, if you were nine, eight years old and having Magic and Kareem and Worthy on a break, I'm like, you would have been a Laker fan literally within minutes. Yeah. That's how long it would have taken. Yeah. Um, and the rest was kind of history in that front. But, you know, coming here now and getting a chance to really know a lot of folks on the local teams and get a chance to support them. I'm still a Raider fan, too. You yeah. Know? Um, but I love seeing the Cowboys win. You know, I think if um, if they went to the Super Bowl, I, th- I, I just moved to Mexico. I wouldn't even I don't even know what I'd do. I don't know who I'd pull. I don't know what would happen there, man. That would, um, but again, uh, the Lakers, are. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And. In a weird way, you and I were texting a lot when Kawhi was making his decision. Yeah. And I was like, I, I want him to go to L.A., but I didn't for yeah. the obvious reasons. Right. right. I like basketball. I like watching the NBA. I like being a fan. Um, that's kind of the beauty of being a retired player now is I get to be a fan of all these things and just watch from afar and admire how great these guys are. 
I didn't want to see the league get ruined by having that kind of a super team. That would that would not. I didn't want to see anyone tune off the TV until the finals just so everyone hoped the Lakers would lose. Right. That's basically what it, what it would have been. It would it would have sucked, man. It would have sucked. I don't think and you would have even enjoyed it as much as you could have. I, I don't think I would have either. You know, and you know, I I enjoyed say like watching the Lakers beat the Celtics in the 2010 finals when they had their big three with right. Allen and KG and Paul Pierce and the Lakers had Kobe and Pau Gasol. Yes. That's a series. That was bad. That's fun. That was Go great. Seven, and that's for the last game. I think was like eighty to seventy, just a war. Yeah, those. That's fun. I mean, I have all this animosity for him now because of what happened with the Mavericks. But when Rondo like dislocated his arm and came back in the same, I mean, those kinds of things. When either team could win, if my teammate won in it, give me that all day, every day. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, as a sports fan, there comes a point when. Even if you're, I remember I felt this with the USC UT game way mm-hmm. when the yeah. 2005. Vince Young, Matt Lyon. I'm a huge USC football fan, yeah. and I remember some point in the fourth quarter, I'm like, I don't even care anymore. This is just too good. It's so good. Whoever wins deserves it. Whoever loses, it's gonna suck for him. This is too good. I don't even care anymore. And that's what I'm hopeful. That's what it is in the NBA. And there's a, there's a ton of teams that have these, you know, two tier, two player superstar teams. It's gonna be fun to see how it all unfolds. I mean, it's gonna be just like classic sports now. The team that has a chance to stay healthiest is gonna. Mm-hmm. Put a dent into this thing and have a chance to make a run. Hopefully, you know, Mavs have two studs too. They're just they're young pups, and uh, if they go out there and do their thing, it could be a hell of a lot of fun for the local folks. I'm 18 months away from sticking my chest out every day, going, "Look at my man!" There you look go, man. Yeah. Hey, it's man. Be fun. Uh, letting us in your home, giving us your thoughts. I really, really appreciate. Right it. Right on, brother. Anytime, man. I always love it. I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did. Huge thanks to Michael Young for letting us in his home. Thanks to my homeboy, Bobby Carella of the Dallas Mavericks. You know, I do a podcast with him called Numbers on the Boards, if you ever want to hear some Mavs talk. But he brought his gear over so we could record in the comfort of Michael's home, and I'm so glad he did. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, I encourage you to subscribe to the Radios and Tunnels podcast so you can get it delivered straight to your ear hole whenever it is dropped. we got a lot of great things coming up in the near future. Thanks to Ben. We rock out the Ben and Skin Show weekdays 10 to 2 on 105.3 The Fan. Thanks to my homeboy KT for producing. And as always, thanks to the Jizza for the inspiration.